is where we'll be, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 through 30. This is our third week in our series, Entrusted, Stewarding What Matters the Most, or A Biblical Perspective of Stewardship. I've really enjoyed it thus far. Uh, it's been a great morning already. Uh, how many are, I guess, here with Josh and Ryan and Aaron, that family? Raise your hand. we got like this whole section. That's awesome. That's awesome. Very good. Yeah. I'm excited for that. So Lord's been doing something in our church here lately. We've had uh, two saved just in the past week alone. Uh, very excited about that and excited that the baptistry is finally fixed. So that, that water was warm, wasn't it? That was very warm. So, you know, you're lucky. We've had some that have gotten baptized. It was freezing, freezing cold. It wasn't for me because I had the waiters on, but anyway, for them. Uh, but anyway, it's good to be here in the Lord's house this morning. Matthew chapter 25. Uh, we're going to read uh, this passage here in just a few minutes, but you can stay seated if you want. I just want to read a, a quick illustration on stewardship from the life of John Wesley, because remember what we've been talking about is everything that we have belongs to who? God. It's Jesus. It's his. Everything that we have, God is the owner. We are the steward, which means we are the manager. Again, sometimes when you hear uh, messages or series on stewardship, you think, okay, great. The pastor's just going to try to pry more money out of my pocket. That's not what this is for. That's what our ushers are for. It's not what I'm for. I'm just kidding. Um, the, but stewardship in general is so, so, so much more than money. And a lot of people don't have a biblical perspective of what true stewardship is all about. So that's what this series is hopefully trying to unlock for us this morning in the next several weeks. One day, though, John Wesley was a famous preacher in the, uh, several, several hundred years ago. But he said, uh, sorry, uh, one day John Wesley's house burned down to the ground. Some people found him and said, John, we are so sorry to tell you this, but your house just burns the ground. John Wesley said, that's impossible. No, John, your house burned to the ground. That's, that's impossible. John, we saw it with our own eyes. Your house is gone. Again, he said, that's impossible. You see, I don't own a house. God gave me a place to live in. I only manage that house for him. If he didn't put the fire out, then that's his problem. He'll have to put me somewhere else. You see, this man understood. He understood that he could have something and use something without possessing that something. He didn't hold on to it so tightly that when it went down, he went down too. And some of us would lose our minds if we lost our houses or our cars because in our minds, what we possess possesses us. But we have to understand and remember that everything that we have, God has given us. God has entrusted us to be a steward. So if you're in Matthew chapter 25 this morning, go ahead and stand, if you can, as we read God's word here to start the message. Matthew chapter 25. This is one of the parables of Jesus, and I'm going to talk about this here in just a minute and kind of give the, the, uh, the background of this as we jump in kind of the middle portion of this. But verse number 14, the Bible says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto him them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents. Now this isn't talking about abilities. This is a unit of measurement. This is actually money that he gave to his, his servants. One he gave five talents, another two to another one, to every man according to his several ability. And straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid the Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh. So he came back 
to have them give account of the things that he had entrusted them with. Uh, verse number 20, and so he that received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, hey, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, look, I have gained beside them five talents more, which means I've doubled what you gave me. His Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee rule over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. I'm going to stop right there and pray, and then we'll dig into it this morning. Uh, Brother Mike, do you mind getting the ear uh, a couple notches down? Let me thank you so much. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this day that you've given us. And Lord, I pray that you be with us this morning as we continue this series on stewardship, this series on entrusted, helping us understand that what you have given us, you have entrusted us with to watch over. And Lord, this is a very challenging message, as many of them have been, very convicting message. So God, I pray that you'd help us to realize that stewardship goes far deeper than our money. It is about our money, yes, but it's about our life. And Lord, you have entrusted us with this life, to live this life for you, for your honor, for your glory, to do what you would have us to do, and that is it. Lord, there are so many Christians today that are living their lives for their pleasure, for their glory, when we were made and created to live it for your honor, for your glory. So God, I pray that you'd help us this morning for the next few minutes as we dive into your word, to help us understand what a biblical perspective steward looks like. Heavenly Father, I love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. So this morning, what we're going to try to do is unlock and unpack the mindset of a steward. The mindset of a steward. It's very important to have the right mindset in life. Uh, without the right mindset, without the right uh, uh, thinking on things, it, it can really get us in trouble. And, you know, there's a lot of scientifically proven things uh, that I could read today. I'm not going to forsake a time. Uh, but even think about sports. Just having the right mindset helps those people that play sports, the athletes. I think of it uh, playing uh, basketball for years and playing in college. Um, you know, if you go into a game thinking you're going to lose, there's a good chance you're not going to do very well. But if you have the right mindset, you're going to give it your all. You're going to do your best uh, for your team, for your coach. You never know what could happen. I mean, case in point, we see that kind of stuff happen all the time, almost every other weekend. Uh, even what yesterday, TCU upset Baylor. I think they had the right mindset going into that game that hey, we can win. But if you go into that game and say, hey, we're not going to win, there's a good chance you're not. And a lot of people, a lot of Christians have the wrong mindset of stewardship. Oh, it's just about my money. The church is trying to scam me. They're trying to get more money so that they can grow their kingdom. No, 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 no. It's not about that. It's about advancing God's kingdom. It's about doing what God has called us to do. Again, God has placed us here as, as stewards, which means managers. We are managers over his affairs. Uh, this is a poor illustration, but imagine with me this morning that one of you were um, given me the opportunity to borrow your car. I didn't have a car. Uh, something was wrong with my car. I needed to borrow your car. Uh, after a couple days, I'm like, you know what? This is my car now. How many would be fine with that? Anybody? Anybody at all? All right, Kevin would be fine because he doesn't have a car. All right. Uh, most people wouldn't be fine. You know, it's like the whole, what, what possession, or there's nine cents of the law or whatever like that. Um, you know, if I were to borrow one of your vehicles, especially if it was a nice vehicle, I'd be like, you know, after a couple hours, a couple days, hey, it is my vehicle now. I own it. Well, do I own it? No, I don't. But that's exactly how we treat this life. God is the owner. We are his managers. He has entrusted us with life, and in a sense, instead of living it for him, doing the best we can for him, it's like, you know what? I'm going to take 
ownership of this life and do whatever I want on another level. Again, kind of a poor illustration, but imagine you get a lower level entry management position into a company. And if in a few weeks, you know, you do well, but then you go into the boardroom and just storm in there and say, I'm taking over this company. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't like that. But again, this is what we do with God. We, in a sense, storm into the boardroom of heaven and say, God, I am taking over my life. And I've been reading many books on stewardship as well as the Bible to gain myself a better, proper understanding and perspective of it. Tony Evans does a great job explaining it, and i got a couple quotes on him throughout the message today. But one thing he says is this. Listen. He says, once you clearly understand and apply the spiritual truth to your life, that God is the owner and you're the steward, then you yourself will be on a journey of understanding as well as a pathway of unleashing your fullest potential. He said, most people never get this. Most people never choose to live by this principle. They think or act as if they own what they really don't own, simply because they have it. But that's not a biblical perspective. Again, even in Psalm chapter 115, verse 16, the Bible says, The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. What that is saying is that God has entrusted us with the earth to watch over, to manage. And this parable that we're looking at this morning, a parable is really a, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So Jesus is talking to his disciples, those around, and, and he's trying to help us understand a little bit of, of what is going on. Now, we, we need to understand quickly the background. Now, this is so deep this morning, and I could go so deep, and I'm, I'm not going to for sake of time. But in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, Jesus is talking to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And this is what is referred to as the Olivet Discourse. And what, it, what Jesus is telling his disciples, you know, they have, they have questions that many of us have towards the end times. You know, they're, they're basically kind of asking Jesus, what's going to happen? When are you going to come back? Uh, we want to know all of this stuff. So in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus tries to unpack that for them and help them understand what is actually going to, talk, uh, what, what is going to happen. But the, the main thing that he's trying to get across in these chapters is that be watchful because my return is going to happen. My return is imminent, which means Jesus is coming back, church. We don't know when, but he is coming back. And I think a lot of us, fail to live our lives like he is coming back. Which means, you know, he's gone away. I mean, yeah, the, the preacher talks about he's coming back, but I mean, he hasn't come back yet, so is he really coming back? So I'm just going to live my life the way I want to live it. And in this parable, really this, this man that went on a far journey to a far country, it kind of represents Jesus, who left this earth, went to heaven, and he eventually is going to come back. We don't know when, we don't know the day, we don't know the hour. Only God, only Jesus knows that. But in this Olivet Discourse, he is talking about the end times, and, and one thing he mentions, again, this is a great study in and of itself, but uh, there was, there's a word in the scripture when you studied out the language, it's called the Bema Seat, or the Judgment Seat of Christ. You see, there are two judgments that all mankind will face. One is the Great White Throne Judgment, and that is for everyone that has never trusted Jesus as their Savior. That will happen once their life on this earth has ended. And they stand before Jesus, and, and he's, he, they're a judge for their actions, for their sins. Uh, that's for the lost. Again, I don't have time to unpack that this morning. But then the second one, the Bema Seat, the judgment seat of Christ, is for the Christians. 
It's not necessarily to judge our sins because our sins have already been judged. We've already been forgiven. We've already been redeemed. That judgment is more of an accounting to see what we did with this life that God entrusted us with. And that is then where God is going to reward us for our efforts on this earth, for how we lived the life that God wanted us to live. And again, I'll I'll do a study on that down the road and, and try to explain it more, but I think many of us have this false dichotomy, this false realization that, you know what, I don't really know if God's coming back. If he does, you know he does. If he doesn't, he doesn't. I'm still going to live my life the way I want to live it. But the Bible is very clear. Listen to me. The Bible is very clear that he is coming back, and we will stand before him. You will stand before Jesus one day, and he will either allow you to enter into heaven, in a sense, well done, good and faithful servant, and give you rewards for that, and I'll talk about that in a minute, or you will be cast into hell. Because you refuse to accept him as your savior. But again, I believe many Christians live their lives like, you know what? I got saved. That's all that matters. But friends, that's not all that matters. There is so much more to this life than just getting saved. That is very important. Don't get me wrong. Very important, extremely important. But you don't get saved just so you can get a ticket out of hell. And many people live their lives like, hey, I got a ticket out of hell. I'm good, so I'm just going to live my life however I want to live. I'm going to do whatever I want to do, and there's no consequences. If there are, it's not that big of a deal. But friends, we are working in this life trying to make eternal investments in the life that is to come. And again, man, I I, I could go so deep on this, but I won't for sake of time. And um, that's not the series this morning that we're going to talk about. But again, we are trying to work for rewards that we will be able to lay down at Jesus' feet. And honestly, sadly, many Christians won't have much reward to lay down at Jesus' feet because they live foolishly. They were unwise, unfaithful servants. And we have to understand, we cannot build too much theology on parables. And What I'm saying is this. There's a specific reason for them. Jesus is giving us this earthly story to give heavenly principles. And when we, when we get to it a little bit later in the message, it talks about, you know, these, these are cast into outer darkness, this, 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 un, un, this wicked servant. There's a lot of people that differ on this, but this is not referring to hell. I've studied it in, in depth, and a lot of people, and I've even heard preachers that say, well, he's talking about being cast into hell. If you're saved, if you're a child of God, you cannot lose your salvation. What this is talking about is you're going to miss out on the rewards. You're going to miss out on what God wants to do in your life. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, and again, I'm trying not to go so deep into this this morning that you're going to be blown away. But let's go ahead and jump into it in verse number 14. Again, this man is traveling to a far country. He called his servants, his slaves, those that worked with him, those that were his uh, together, and he delivered unto them goods. So he then distributes talents. Again, this isn't necessarily referring to abilities. That we, we can talk about abilities. That's not what it's referring to. So he distributes these talents according to their ability or based on their capacity. A talent, we have to understand, is, is this. It's a unit of measurement, a unit of weight. And we all have different, um, really, if you talk about abilities, we all have different abilities. But it's very easy to look at this and think, well, well, one only got one talent. That's not that much at all. And one got five talents. That's a lot. You know, when, when you study this out, and again, there's a lot of differing opinions on this, 
but the talent was based on either the gold standard or the silver standard. And many commentaries believe and, and agree that what this is referring to is when you, when you add it all up, it's, it's at least 16 years wages, at least. So let's just imagine it to be on the silver standard. And let's just say the, the average income, now I think the average income, the median income per family in Texas is like $60,000 or something like that. But let's just say like 40, 45,000 uh, per sake of time, the average family income or the average income for a person. So you add that up or multiply that by 16 years, you're going to have over $700,000. That's a pretty hefty sum, isn't it? So it's very easy to think, oh, that's not that much. He, he didn't have that much. What he was given was a lot. You understand that? He was given a large amount of money to watch over that he was entrusted with. Some, some even believe it was, again, if you put it into our standard, our economy, well north of like $1.5 Again, I, I don't know, but what we need to understand is what was given was a lot. Whether it was $700,000 or $3.5 it's still a lot of money. It's still a lot. And again, we all have different amounts of time. What I mean is that, yes, there is a 24 hours in the day, but not all of us are going to live the same amount of days, right? Some of our days will be shorter. Some of our days will be longer. So I don't know if I hit on this, but stewardship involves uh, stewarding our, our time, our talents, what I mean is our abilities with that, and our treasures. This is our resources. This is our finances that God has given us. And we all have a different amount of time. Our days are numbered. We all have a different set of abilities. We all have different treasures, financial treasures to watch over. We continue on. We see the use of talents in verse 16 as we continue to walk through this. I'm going to make application in just a minute. But then he that received the five talents went and traded them. And what happened was he doubled it. So he invested did We don't know exactly what he did, but whatever he did, he made wise investments, doubled it. So you go from five, if you double it, what do you have now? Ten. Very good. Even with core math, you still got that. Good job. All right. He has ten talents now. He has doubled it. His proportion has, has increased, has grown. So then when the master, when the owner comes back, and he was coming back because he entrusted them to watch over this, uh, verse number, uh, where's it at? Uh, I just lost my place. Uh, verse, verse 19, sorry. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth, or he wanted to give an account with them of what, what they did with the money that he entrusted them with. And so he that received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, hey, you, you gave me, you entrusted me with five talents. So, hey, look, he was excited about this. Look, I have gained another five talents. And look what his Lord says. Look what the master says. Hey, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You, you've done exactly what you needed to do. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, so I'm going to make you rule over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. What he's saying is, hey, I want you to share in the joy of your master because I'm proud of you. You've done what I've asked you to do. The second servant came along, and it's a very similar reaction when you study it. And we're not going to go deep into that today. But when you study it, he had two, he doubled it, so now he has what? Four. He doubled what he was given. The same thing, the master, the Lord, excited about it. Man, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to reward you for this. So, you know, share in my joy with this. But then, 
we see the third servant. And the third servant, really, I'm not going to try to go off today, but it really epitomizes a lot of Christians today. You know, this third servant was given one talent and did nothing with it. You know what he did? He buried it in the ground. He buried it in the ground. He dug it in the ground because maybe for fear, maybe because he didn't want to do anything with it. Maybe he was selfish. There's a lot of reasons. But let's look at the reaction here. Verse 23. His Lord said unto him, well, or sorry, verse 24, sorry. Then he which hath received one talent came and said, Lord, now, now I love this. Here's what he's doing. He's basically kind of blaming the master. You know, he's kind of making excuses for him not doing anything. This is important. Lord, I, I know that thou, thou art a hard man. You're, you're a harsh man. Reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. I was afraid. So because I was afraid, because you're, you're such a harsh master, you know, I, I, I didn't want to offend you. So what I did was nothing, really, is what he's saying. And I went and, and hid what you gave me in the ground. Now, we already saw the reaction from the master and the first two servants. So now we see the reaction in the third servant. Verse 26. His Lord answered and said to him, Thou wicked and slothful servant. So what this is is saying, Hey, you wicked, you lazy, good-for-nothing servant. Thou knowest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. He said, you know, really, you should have just put the money into the bank. That's what he said in verse number 27. Because then you, you could have at least had some interest. At least you could have had just a little bit of interest. I mean, just 1% of interest a year would have given quite a sum back to his master. But, but here's what we're going to try to unlock this morning. And here's the message. Here's the question that I want us to ask. What are you doing with what God has given you? What are you doing with what God has given you? You know, it's easy to look at this third servant and be like, yeah, what's the big deal? He didn't lose it. So why was the master so mad, so upset with him? Look, that's not the point. Listen to me. Status quo is not good enough. Status quo is not good enough when our job is to create growth. Jesus is not going to be happy if you got saved, checked it off your list, went to church on occasion, checked that off the list, but you never changed, you never grew, you did life the way that you wanted to do it. Jesus isn't going to be happy with that. He's not going to be, well, man, you did a great job with what I trusted you, even though you were lazy and no good for nothing. He's not going to be happy with that. And that's, that's really what we're going to get at this morning. He's not happy when you've grown stagnant, complacent, when he's asked you and called you to be productive. So what are you doing with what God has given you is the question. And what I want to look at this morning is this, the importance of a steward. This is what we see in this passage. This is the application this morning. The importance of a steward. You see, this man went on a journey, entrusted his servants to watch over his possessions. One of them to do something with what he had given them. The first two did. Doubled it. The third guy did nothing. 
Now, I want you to get this down because this is so, so important. This is the message this morning. Our Heavenly Father has entrusted us. He has entrusted us with our time, with our talents, with our treasures. He has entrusted us to be his stewardship. And get this down. Stewardship involves two important things. Protecting and expanding the assets of another. I'll leave that up there for a minute. Stewardship involves protecting and expanding the assets of another. Again, it's very easy to look at this third servant and be like, what's the big deal? He didn't lose it. He protected it, right? I mean, did he protect it? Yeah. But did he expand it? No. You see, it's not enough to just, well, again, I, I checked off my list that I went, to, I went to church on occasion, and I, I, I threw some money in the plate when the, when the, when the offering came by, and you know, I, I did the bare minimum, so what, what more do you want, right? But stewardship involves protecting and expanding expanding the assets of another. So if God has entrusted us, he wants us to expand what he has given us. In a sense, he wants us to grow his kingdom. Make sense? Not growing our kingdom, but look, look, look and I'm not trying to be all mean today. I'm guilty of this too, really, honestly. But there are many of us that are good at growing our kingdom, right? We are good at growing our kingdom. We are good at, man, someone's giving me something, I'm going to grow this. I mean, hey, look at my bank account. Look at the house that I have, the houses that I have. Look at the cars that I have. Look at all that I have. I'm not saying you can't have things. I'm not saying that. I've never once said that. I'm not saying you can't enjoy life. But so many people are so consumed with what they are getting out of life instead of what God wants them to get out of life. Instead of what God wants them to do, he did not place you here for yourself. He placed you here. You got saved for him to grow, to advance, to expand his kingdom. And this is, oh man, this is so challenging. It's so challenging. As I was studying this passage this week, so convicting because I've looked back at my life introspectively and, and look, man, how slothful, how lazy was I at times where God gave me a job to do, and you know what? I'm more concerned with my job than his job. Uh, this isn't the message this morning, but you know, it's like pulling teeth to try to get people just to, to tithe, to give money that's not for the benefit of the church, it's for the benefit of God to grow his kingdom, to do more uh, outreach, and to, to give more to missions and things like that, because no, it's my money. No, it's not yours. Everything you have is God's, but again, it's more than money. What about your time? You know, some of us can't help anyone else because we're too busy with our own agenda, right? We're too busy with what we need to do, what we need to grow, because I've got a business, I've got a job, I've got to make it better. No, you've got to make his kingdom better. Understand? So stewardship is protecting, yes, but it's expanding. And the focus of this story is really, it's working for Jesus until he returns. So look at your life this morning. Have you truly worked effectively for Jesus? Because he is coming back, friends. I don't know when. It could be today. If it is, man, praise God for that. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. But I think many of us are living life like he's not coming back. Oh, he's not coming back, so I'm going to live and do whatever I want. Look, what you believe, get this down, impacts you. 
impacts what you do. Again, there are many Christians living for themselves, for their purposes, for their agendas. They're living like Christ is coming, isn't coming back, but he is. So if you believe that, that's going to impact on how you live. And the master, he was upset when this third servant didn't do what he was called to do. It really, it's like he was more concerned with his own affairs than the, the master's affairs. This, this third guy was really concerned with one thing. You know what it was? Himself. Basically, he couldn't be bothered to do something for someone else. He couldn't be bothered to serve or invest. He had his life, his time, and that's all that mattered. And listen to me. It's very tough to understand true biblical stewardship when we live in a very me-centered society that is extremely narcissistic. Here's a good description. We are very selfie-centered. <laughs> I'm not against selfies, per se. But we are very selfie-centered, aren't we? It's all about us. Hey, look at me! You know, sometimes, like, I, I, I take selfies, but sometimes, like, I don't know, I, maybe it's just me. I just feel foolish, like, always just taking a picture of myself standing in front of a building. I mean, I'm not getting on people. I'm not. But, like, I do it sometimes, and I try to do it quickly so no one sees me and makes fun of me. Even though I know 50 other people are doing the same thing, right? Right, Ryan? Yeah, exactly. But, and again, I'm not against those people that are doing that, but our society is very selfie-centered, isn't it? All about ourselves. Hey, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at what I'm growing. But I'm pretty sure... We are here to be God-centered. So it's hard to understand biblical stewardship when we're more selfie-centered. And when we're more selfie-centered, it's very extremely difficult to be God-centered, isn't it? Yes, it is. Tony Evans writes this statement. This is very really good. I want, you to, I want you to see this, understand it. Coming to church is not to be the tum total of your investment in advancing the kingdom of God. I don't know if I have that on the screen or if I have that in your notes. He says, coming to church is not to be the uh, sum total of your investment in advancing the kingdom of God. He says, you cannot stand before the judgment of seat of Christ and say, hey, God, at least I came to church. At least I did the minimum requirement. You know, I gave on occasion, I sang when the guy was up there and trying to get me to sing. We're not placed here for ourselves. We're placed here for our Heavenly Father to live like the Son. And when we live for ourselves and foolishly spend or tragically waste the resources God has entrusted us with to protect and expand, we're in for the same judgment as the third servant. The master, verse number 28. Take therefore the talent from him. Give it to him which hath ten talents. For in every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance but from him that hath not shall be taken away, even that which he, hath, which he hath. Verse 30. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. Now, again, I'll, I'll explain this in a minute. This is not hell. Into outer darkness where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man shall come, excuse me, in glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. So the master wasn't too happy with this. 
And the servant doesn't end up in hell because if he's truly saved, no true servant of Christ is going to end up in hell and lose their salvation. But you can lose the reward. That's important. And what, what this is saying here, because we have to understand when the Bible is written, it was written to a specific group of people. We have to understand the context. There are a lot of applications for us. But these phrases were very Semitic phrases. Jesus was a Jew. He is talking to Jews. They understood what he is saying here. When Jesus used these phrases, the Jews around him understood this. You see, many in the Near East ancient culture, they had wedding activities that they took place at night. And the feasting and the dancing was often held in a brilliantly lit banquet hall. The surrounding courtyards and gardens, however, were often left in darkness. Those who had improper behavior at the celebration or who were not welcome for one reason or another were not allowed to take part in the celebration. They were then escorted outside into the outer darkness. Again, this is just a metaphor describing the exclusion of the carnal Christian from the glorious reign of Christ and the exclusion of our awards. Stay with me here. They're still in the kingdom. They're not going to reign there and get all the rewards that others will get. 1 Corinthians 3 is very clear about that. And honestly, man, I'm trying not to go deep this morning, but there are a lot of Christians that are going to get to heaven, in a sense, by the skin of their teeth. You know what I mean? They've done the bare minimum. I got saved. And again, that, that, that's important. Don't, don't get me wrong. That is very, very, very important. You cannot get to heaven if you haven't been saved. You can't. It's impossible. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't get saved, or you can't get to heaven on your own merit, on your own works. But once you get saved, once you trust Christ as your Savior, once you believe in Him, ask Him to forgive you of your sins, then we must work for our Savior, for our Master. Because it's all for him. So you don't lose your salvation, but you can lose the reward. So what are you doing with what God has given you? Are you serving Christ with what he has given you? Listen to me. I'll wrap it all up in a minute. D.A. Carson puts it this way. He says, it is not enough for Jesus' followers to hang in there. We got it up there. Good. To hang in there and wait for the end. They must see themselves as servants who improve what their master entrusts to them. Failure to do so proves they cannot be valued as true disciples at all. The point of this message and series isn't about your money. It's so much more than that. Look, not only is God the owner, get this down, we're almost done. Not only is God the owner, but Jesus is the master. God's the owner, Jesus is the master, so that makes us the steward. And we are to work diligently on this earth for our master, maximizing his resources. And really the whole message boils down to this this morning. There's really two questions that it boils down to. Will you be commended for your love Hang on right there. Will you be commended for your love? What I mean is that you loved God. You lived for God. You did what God called you to do. So like the first two servants, what was the master's response? Well done. Hey, well done, good and faithful servant. Hey, 
There's more rewards waiting for you. Or will you be condemned for your laziness? Will you be commended for your love, or will you be condemned for your laziness? And this, oh, oh, man, this is so deep this morning. This is so challenging. And look, I I don't preach to just say that you're all a bunch of horrible, wicked, no worth, no good for nothing people. Look, I, I struggle with these things too. But there's many times in my life where I can look back and saw how lazy I was, only working for myself, only doing what I, Chris Thorne, wanted to do, instead of doing what God wanted me to do. I was only concerned with protecting his stuff. Well, I didn't didn't lose it, but I didn't use it the way he asked me to do it. So will you be commended for your love, or will you be condemned for your laziness? And again, honestly, this is harsh this morning, but honestly, there are a lot of Christians, that when they get to heaven, they'll get in, but all their works will be burned up in fire. It says that in 1 Corinthians 3. Paul, Paul makes that very clear. Kind of like wood, hay, and stubble. Will you be condemned for your laziness? Hey, you lazy, no good for nothing servant. What, what did you do with the life that I gave you? You know, it, it shouldn't be the pastor just always trying to be the cheerleader. Man, I, I need more people to give. I need more people to serve. We should do it out of love for our Savior, for our Master. I almost fell. <laughs> Let me extend this. Uh, anyway, we should do it out of love for our Master. It's not, well, pastor wants me to do it, so I guess I'll do it. That's the wrong motive, people. If that's the only reason you're serving in this church, if that's the only reason you're giving in this church, you're no different than the third servant. But if you're serving, if you're giving, if you're doing, if you're living out of love, that's what matters. That's what honors our Lord. That's what honors our Savior. And man, if if people could get this, like like Tony Evans said at the very beginning, if people could get this, we, we could understand and live our lives to the fullest potential. To the potential that God has called us to live. Look, as a steward, listen to me, I'm almost done. As a steward, a failure to serve, a failure to honor the master with the mercy that he has entrusted to you indicates a lack of love for your master. So when Christians, or so-called Christians, I guess I should say, when Christians aren't truly serving their master, Jesus Christ, out of love, it shows that they don't really love him. It shows that they love themselves. I care about number one. I care about me. I could care less about anything else. And there are people that come every week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, that only care about themselves. I don't want you to care about me. I want you to care about Jesus. Because this is his church. You're not going to answer to me. You're going to answer to him. So what are you doing with what he's entrusted you with? And really, some final questions. It really indicates the heart of a true follower if you're not serving, giving, living out of love. The truth is, when you do those things, you're showing what it means to be a true disciple. But here's the questions. What are you doing with what God has given you? 
What will the long-term, listen to this, what will the long-term generational kingdom impact be of your life when your name is written down in history? Wow, my life doesn't really matter. It does. It's not just enough to invest on this earth for when you retire, when you're older. That's important. Don't get me wrong. Are you investing for his kingdom? How are your eternal investments? Because some of us have very good earthly investments. And I talked to some people in the past couple of weeks about this. Very good in, uh, um, temporal investments, earthly investments. They've done well and they've done the bare minimum, right? <laughs> they've checked it off their list. But that's not a true disciple of Christ. That's not true love for their master. What difference will that impact make on eternity? Or what difference will the lack of an investment make on eternity when you're living for yourself and not for him? I close with this. Listen to me. The mindset of a steward will work at protecting and expanding the assets of another on their behalf. We've been placed here by our master. If you're saved, if you're a child of God, to maximize his resources, not your own. I don't have time to talk about it all, but if you're living for yourself, then you're no different than a third servant. You're a lazy, wicked servant. When I get to heaven, I don't want Jesus to, hey, well, in a sense, enter in. I mean, you, you did the bare minimum, you got saved, so all right, come on in. I want him to be happy. I, I want to hear that well done, a good and faithful servant. And looking in the mirror, there's probably a lot of you that aren't really good and faithful, that haven't really done what you need to do. Stewardship, yes, it's about our money, but it's so much more. It's about your life. It's about your time, your talents, the treasures that God has given you, that he has entrusted you with. If you're truly living the life of a steward, a biblical steward, then you will be living the life of a disciple. And you will be living a life of love for your master. So will you be commended for your love or condemned for your laziness? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this.